I might uh, edit that out. Because I'm not even sure it made sense. Well, it doesn't make I... sense for me to be here, so I think you're good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, welcome to Hattrick. I'm Jordan Deller-Coltman. I'm joined by Elliot Tanti, and this week, a uh, very special guest uh, co-host replacing uh, Braden. We have the other Deller-Coltman brother, Timothy Deller-Coltman, is here once again uh, in the off-season. Usually, we bring you in for Raptors talk, because that is your <laughs> chosen sport, but the Raptors are uh, still a few weeks away from their the beginning of their training camp and season, uh, so we brought you in as a ringer here. Welcome to the show, Tim. How are you doing? Thank you very much. I, I'm very pleased to be back. It's uh, it's quite uh, it's quite nice to be back. Um, I find it very funny that uh, every time I'm around, uh, I get thrown on this uh, this little talk show, and I don't know a lick about sports. So I appreciate you bringing me back again. Uh, he did say just before we started recording, can we just talk about the Emmys? Because he has opinions on that, but this is not that kind of show. So we're going to talk about sports and uh, why waste any more time. Let's get right to it. Here we go. All right. Topic one this week is the conclusion of our three episode uh, series dedicated to the Oilers off season. We have spent time dissecting the offense. We spent last week de- debating and dissecting the defense. And now we find ourselves at the all pivotal goaltending position. You cannot win a Stanley cup, Elliot, without good goaltending. We know that you look at the goaltenders that have made it and taken their teams to the Stanley cup finals in the last few years, obviously Vasilevsky back to back, but Carey Price was critical for Montreal last year, uh, even coming off an injury. They wouldn't have been there without him. Goaltending is arguably one of the hardest positions to find consistency at in the NHL. Um, Sometimes you have goalies who have a great year and then they fall apart the following season. Oilers fans know all too well about that. Um, But here we are looking at the exact same two goaltenders that we started last year with. Um, we certainly saw a rejuvenation of Mike Smith last year. He played probably his best season, I would argue, in the NHL after starting the season with an injury. He might have had a couple years in Phoenix where he was you know, equally as, as important, but because of the condensed schedule, I think he really did overachieve from what anyone's expectations were, and, and it was great because Koskinen completely uh, under, underperformed. Uh, thoughts on the goaltending? Where, where do you feel about being pretty much the same place you were a year ago? Well, if you can't win a Stanley Cup without great goaltending, I don't think the Edmonton Oilers are going to win a Stanley Cup this year. <laughs> Let me just start there. Um, no, look, I you know I think I'm not as critical of the situ- goaltending situation as everyone else. I think that Holland had like a really difficult situation here in the sense that Koskinen is virtually immovable, um, and you are going to have to give something up to to get rid of him and move that contract, and then you still had to bring someone else in and it was a little thin out there for selection of goalies this year. So coming back with the same tandem as last year, I mean, good, not great. Okay. Not good. I don't know. Like it's, it sort of is what it is. What I will say is, and this is going to be really controversial point. The Edmonton Oilers goaltending quality will be about as good as this year as it was last year. And Oh yeah, really strong statement. But what I mean to say is that I think we can, we can expect Mike Smith to be, not as good as he was last year because he, as you mentioned, he was sensational. But I actually think Miko Koskinen will have a bounce back year and be—he's a better goalie than he was last year. 
Uh, he ran into issues where they were falling behind early in games. There was like a string where he had like seven or seven or eight games last year, Jordan, where he, the first shot he let in, <laughs> like, yeah, you know, brutal. just kind of like weird stuff like that, that just like, you know, really dogged him. And, and, and I, and I think led people to have a lower view of him than he was. Um, so, you know, would I have liked to have seen something better? Uh, absolutely. But I just don't know that there was much to do uh, out there. And so Smith coming back, Hoskin coming back on the final year, his contract, eh, it's okay. Yeah, I think for the second year in a row, Holland sort of took a couple swings and missed uh, with what options there were there. Obviously, going into last year, the big prize was was Markstrom leaving Vancouver. He ended up in Calgary, and we know that Holland targeted him. And he wasn't able to close that deal, so they they went with what they had. Mikko Koskinen, I think, has been it exacerbates his failures because of the price tag. You know, he's making four point five a year now he's only on his last year of his deal here that's what you were mentioning he's sort of that's the the ball and chain connected you to him they do have to think about what's best for the team and we're going to know really quickly as they go into training camp whether or not as you suggest Koskinen is going to have a bounce back or if they feel he's sort of the same place he was the third wheel to this tandem is Alex Stalock who they signed he's on a one-year deal for only seven hundred and eighty five thousand dollars so he's a much better price tag at the nhl level if let's say he finds a way to be number two behind mike smith and you bury koskinen in the minors at least some of that cap space is available for things like trades at the deadline or anything like that they signed yamamoto this week to a very um good one-year deal price tag wise i should say one-year deal not great for yamamoto but one of those let's set up show me what you have kind of bet on yourself deals which i think both for the Oilers and for Yamamoto is really important. I mean, Miko Kosman can't be much worse than than what we've seen from him at his worst. Um, he can't, you know, he could do nothing but but improve on on sort of where he was last year. Tim, I know you're not a huge um, goaltending expert, but no, thoughts on the Edmonton Oilers well, goaltending I, I situation? Mean, just, uh, I mean, goalies got to be goalies. Goalies got got to stop the pucks, and if they're not stopping the pucks, you got to pull them. You know, I think that's uh, basic basic truth. That's what you got for us. That's great. Very true. I think we'll, we, you should pop that in the suggestion box for Dave Tippett. If the goalie's not stopping the puck, you got to pull him. Uh, nothing wrong with that. Elliot, let's just really quickly do this here. So, Can you – what's the last Edmonton goaltender you remember the name of? Rollison. Oh, there you go. Great okay. name. Dwayne Rollison. How about before that? Anything else other than maybe uh, Cujo? Cujo. Yeah. Uh, there's Tommy Sallow? No, there's Tommy Sallow. Tommy, Sa- Tommy Sallow? Yeah, yeah he, he was an underwear model, oh. and I think now convicted of drunk driving. Oh, that's a shame. No, 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 that's Nikolai Abby Lewin. Or, oh, or, yeah, or, or, right. yeah. <laughs> also, also an Oiler goaltender. I mean, so here's here's my last question. Everyone out here in Vancouver always jokes about how Vancouver is a goalie graveyard, right? Yeah, we've seen a yeah. lot of goaltenders come in here, and their careers have just fallen off cliffs. I mean, it. They just, they, you know, it's what it is. Now you could argue, I think it's it's fair to argue Roberto Luongo's best years were still in Vancouver. No one can deny that, right? Like he had good years in Florida. They made him the captain. They made him the captain. They did make him the captain one year. They made the goalie the captain. Yeah, it didn't work out well. It was a disaster. Yeah. But he did win a gold medal for Team Canada here. He was at the top of his game from what it was going to be. The question is this, has Edmonton also become a goalie graveyard, Elliot? Oh, absolutely not. I mean, (laughs) I don't think that we've just had good enough goalies to... To, to careers with careers to kill. Uh, I mean, I think that this has been a major weakness in the organization since 
uh, you know, Tommy Salo and Cujo and, you know, Rollison and in the 06 run, we've really struggled to sort of like develop and grow and maintain a goal, a, a solid goaltending back. Devin Dubnik is the weird one, right? Devin Dubnik was the one who was, you know, looked like a borderline NHL player here and then went to a team with an actual defense and was outstanding. Yeah. Um, you know, lots of people have finished their careers here. There's, there's always been this sort of stopgap uh, in Edmonton. What I, what I, what I like about where we're at right now is it's a similar place to our defense is that there's a pretty strong collection of goaltenders in the system that are young, um, but they take time to develop, you know, goalies usually kind of hit their prime in their late twenties, early thirties, uh, unless you've, you're like a sensation like Carey Price. And there seems to be like a healthy sort of stable of young goaltenders coming into the organization. But I, I wouldn't compare it to the Vancouver model. I would just say that we've just, there's not been enough investment in it. And the, the, the assets that we have acquired in, in terms of uh, young players have just not panned out. All right. Well, I guess what we will wait and see is as we get closer and closer to training camp, what condition do Mike Smith, the ageless wonder and uh, Miko Koskinen, uh, we'll see what condition they both come into camp and what, 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 whether or not we have another kind of tandem thing going on here, or if we're going to go back to Mike Smith as the starter right out of the gate, we'll wait and see. It's a longer season. Um, that could play a factor in Mike Smith as far as conditioning. Obviously you can't have him playing more than, like 65 games, I would say, you know, you've got to, Miko Koskinen's got to come in and play 20 games and win, win at least half of them for the Oilers to really be able to succeed. I would argue, you know, he's definitely got to stop more of the first shots. Mm. Uh, let's start there and see, uh, see where we can go from. All right. That was topic one. The ordinary podcasting network is excited to announce that we have launched a merch store on our website. The store is full of ordinary swag, including t-shirts, hoodies, and hats can pick out something awesome and support your favorite podcast today by heading over to ordinarypodcasts.com. Okay, uh, we're going to wade into a little bit of controversy. I don't think it's really controversial, but other people seem to want to make it controversial and it's become such a hot button politically, but I think it's important to just have a conversation briefly about it. We spent a lot of time last season talking about how devastating COVID was for a team like the Canucks. However, we are also now looking at Every Canadian team, I believe, has announced they will mandate fans be showing proof of vaccination to be in the stadium. Um, the question we wanted to ask today is, is it time for the leagues to also stop dragging their feet and mandate vaccines for their players? Not just for the obvious safety reasons, but also because it is becoming more and more evident that not doing so is causing a whole bunch of additional headaches. COVID shutdowns, we've seen that with the CFL, uh, the Edmonton Elks lost I guess a week to now reschedule due to what, like an outbreak of 18 or something players. Well, there was one guy like wildfire. Actually, there's one guy who just lied about being vaccinated and that right. caused the problem. Right. Yeah. And he was released from the team uh, because of, he didn't, I, it wasn't that he was mandated to get vaccinated. It was more mandated that he lied about what his status was, which is unbelievable. If you're going to not be vaccinated and you're not going to own that, I'm not sure what's going on. But the question today is this, is it time for, leagues the nfl the nhl when the nba comes back is it time to just pull the trigger and mandate that players be vaccinated for the health and safety of the majority of the players in the league is it not should we not be holding the players on the ice to the same standard we're holding or on the field to the same standard we're holding the fans in the stands to elliot we'll go to you first i think i know what your answer is going to be but uh do you want to dig in on this one well frankly jordan vaccines are unconstitutional and let me just start by saying that 
<laughs> no, oh, I, I obviously, I obviously don't agree with that at, at that previous statement, and I and I think vaccines are the best thing, both from a public health response, but also just for everyone in general. Um, a couple things. I mean, so let, let's take. I want to talk about this angle. The people that play these sports, these athletes, are role models. They're role models to kids. They're role models to adults. They're oftentimes really uh, influential individuals in people's lives. These athletes buy a product and other people will buy that product to be like them. Um, they have an opinion and people will have a form of, formulate an opinion that, that matches them as well too. Uh, these people are role models. And I think that there's an obligation if you're a role model and you get the publicity that you do to be informed on issues and act in a way that's appropriate and in the best interest of, of humanity and, and, and safety. And so I think that there's an obligation for athletes to, to take the vaccine. And what's disappointing is that not everyone has done that. And so now we're in a conversation of whether you mandate it or not. Um, and I think you should, I, I, I think they should. I think, um, you know, there's lots of workplaces It's becoming kind of a standard thing that people are, you know, you, you need to be uh, vaccinated in order to come into work. Or, um, and do your job. I mean, this is a this is a close contact sport. People are right on top of each other. They're sweating. There's breathing hard. Um, there's droplets being you know spit out all over the place. Um, and and so those are those are those are circumstances that are ripe for for COVID transaction or um, transmission. And so because of that, I think that uh, it's an occupational health and safety conversation in question. And there's an obligation for for uh, the employees, this, that being the athletes and the coaches, uh, to 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 get vaccinated for the health and safety of everyone. Right. Tim, where do you come down on this? Well, I wish I could disagree with both of you. We'd have a much better argument on this matter. But uh, no, I have to agree with with you entirely. And I think uh, I think like I, I'll just couple in on on what Elliot's saying about the the influential nature of these athletes. Um, and I and I think that it's absolutely important for for this implementation to happen so that everyone can get on with everything because I think there's a lot of money on the line as well moving these players back into the stadiums getting the um, getting all of the the necessities back to a running smoothly um, that if you know if if this measure is not taken uh, into account then. Uh, it's just going to be a clusterfuck for a long time. So I don't know if I'm, I can swear on your podcast. You can swear. Your <laughs> <laughs> you can swear. Um, yeah, I, I mean, obviously, I, I agree with both of you from from the with the majority of everything you said. I think I think it gets tricky when the reason becomes uh, that these athletes are role models because we've also seen many athletes behave in ways that we are personally may not agree with and think about, and we've often often seen the leagues be able to find ways to somehow justify that for the purposes of the fact that they're making millions of dollars off of the backs of these athletes. I think that's part of the, sh the struggle that some of these leagues have is that they want to accommodate the, you know, uh, the, the athletes' personal decisions and whatever else. Mm. Um, I, I think we get into a bit of an interesting ethical conversation about like, and we've had this in general, but I think every workplace is, is, is struggling and working through this thing about, you know, there is um, an expectation to some degree in our society about, allowing people to have some form of privacy concerning their health, 
mm-hmm. and their health decisions and, and those things in many different circumstances. Mm-hmm. I think though that like ever like so many other things that have, have shifted and changed during this pandemic, the recognition is we are in exceptional circumstances. And that sometimes during exceptional circumstances, exceptional, you know, sort of measures uh, are required. And we've learned that in so many other workforces, as Elliot points out, you know, I mean, for God's sake, the propaganda machine fighting against the COVID vaccine in the United States being Fox News literally has a vaccine mandate for their employees coming into Fox's headquarters. It's a fucking joke. Mm. But when it comes back to this part of it, I think the double standard part is what I'm struggling with. If the fans have to be coming into this facility, why then aren't the players being held to the same standard? You can look at it from the economics part of it. Yep. This would make it so much easier for uh, the league to be able to keep their operations running and all of those things because they're limiting the risk again. doesn't mean that you may still not have breakthrough cases. We've seen that it happens, but you know, we had so few cases even last year with just the testing that we could be completely removing that for some of these organizations. But the other thing is there is already a precedent here. There, there are rules about you can't be going back on the ice with the blood on your jersey. You can't go back on the court with blood on your jersey. That player's removed from the game to try to prevent any kind of transmissible disease. Here we have an incredibly, like Elliot said, an incredibly transmissible disease that we have a very simple solution to. And I think it's just asinine that these leagues aren't taking the simplest step of mandating. And especially, I mean, we saw it with the NBA last year where there were a few teams that got so close and a few players that that had to be pulled because of uh, COVID precautions or whatever. And it ended up costing some of these teams the potential of going to the playoffs or or in some cases even taking home uh, a win. So it's it's i think it's it's not only for the for the leagues as a as a whole but it it just benefits each team uh uh as a collective as well so so if you don't mandate it elliot what should the punishments be for these teams well so this is the thing that you know we're dealing with and we're seeing like there's very strict rules around what players who are not vaccinated can do particularly when they are um, out of town or traveling, right? So there's some really strict requirements around not leaving the hotel room. You can't compete. You can't. Um, you, you can't go out for dinner. You can't. Uh, you can't do anything that doesn't involve your team, basically. Um, and, and there's some really strict rules around that. Um, and, and I think you know this is sort of the approach that lots of employers have taken. That in which you know if you don't feel like you have the authority or capacity to do a vaccine mandate what you do is you just make it so uncomfortable for people to work that you go and get their vaccine right and um so i'm interested to sort of see if the requirements and expectations of those unvaccinated folks you know not being able to engage in some team outings and events and things like that not being able to your hotel room will impact people uh to get the vaccine to your question what should be done is that there should be strict and severe punishment if people uh, break the rules around this stuff, particularly if they're unvaccinated. I mean, that that gentleman that we talked about from the Elks this year, not only was he released from the team, but there was a mandate across the entire league that no other team could pick him up. And no one, and he lost his ability to work. Um, I don't think the NHL is going to go that far. You know, the teams aren't going to be releasing players. Um, but significant suspensions, suspensions that hurt your team, um, you know, should be in place and enforced because... Mm-hmm. I mean, this is still, you know, whatever your personal feelings are on vaccines, um, 
you know, this is still, as you said, the health and safety of everyone around you, the people at the games, your management. I mean, coaches are not young. You know, there's a lot of referees aren't necessarily young, although they are getting younger now. You know, there's, there's, you're, you're, as you said, you're a significant, you're a danger to the people around you. And so you have to be, the expectations, you have to be cautious and, and the rules are the rules, right? Mm-hmm. All right, we'll leave it there. Hey, guess what? The Ordinary Podcasting Network has a brand new show. If you're a fan of Hattrick Sports, then I promise you, you are going to enjoy the Backyard Basketball Podcast. Braden Della Coldman, who is one of the hosts of this show here, Hattrick, hosts an amazing basketball show with one of his best friends, Christian Steck. Together, the two of them will break down the NBA, news from around the basketball world, and get you caught up on everything you need to know. It's fun. It's fast. They have great conversation and banter. They love basketball, and you will love the Backyard Basketball Podcast. Subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts, and you can also follow them on Instagram at backyardbasketball underscore podcast. Okay, topic three. We're going to have a little bit of fun uh, because Tim is here, and Tim is hungry. Um, We're going to talk about uh, something sort of... I don't know. This is just kind of a fun topic. We've done this a couple of times, but here it is. Fans are coming back to the stands. We've seen, you know, the capacity start to increase as the vaccine passport systems have been implemented in certain cities. We've talked about that just in the last topic about uh, every Canadian NHL team is going to mandate fans proof of a vaccination. Many provinces are doing it just in general, obviously, um, because they're recognizing that it's critical. And so what's great about it, though, is we're going to start seeing fans in stands and maybe we ourselves will start to attend sporting events. And one of the great things about sporting events is paying for overpriced food at the concession. And this is something that most fans haven't been able to do for a couple of years. Who doesn't love going and buying like a $17 piece of pizza or a $25 burger? Or a hot dog the size of your forearm. Exactly. So what we wanted to dig into really quickly here is uh, we're going we're gonna to list the some. forearm dog. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> we're going to list some of our favorite um, uh, stadium snacks. And then we'll do like a round of that. And then what I've also offered up is I want to see if you can come up with a better thing you've never either seen or you've, or you want to see in one of these stadiums, right? So you get to make the menu. So we'll, we'll do, uh, basically we'll do it in, 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 actually let's do it in threes. So, cause it's Patrick, we'll do your favorite thing you've seen or had mm-hmm. the one thing you've seen, but never had like something you've heard about at another ballpark or another stadium or something. And then number three, what's your like wish list item? that work? All right. All right, we'll do it in like a little round. So I'll go first. The best like uh stadium snack food item I've ever had is at what is now called Remax Field, used to be um uh what was it Telus Field mm-hmm. for the longest time, home to uh the Trappers and then later home to the Cracker Cats and then later home to the Edmonton Capitals. I think now the Prospect Terrible at, mascot, terrible mascot. Yeah, exactly. The Capitals but they had they had really good food like impressively good food for like a tiny little minor league ballpark and they had a pierogi hot dog oh yeah so it was the hot dog with some shaved like um cactus fries so it was like the potato yeah. lots of smothered in cheese uh, a little bit of sour cream bacon bits and it had a kick and it was like a little spicy Chives. that thing though was like it was unreal. And it was like $8, Seven. but it was so good. So for me, my like favorite of all time is the pierogi hot dog at Telus Field. That's Tim, a good Tim one. what's your oh favorite God. of all time? That's a really good one. 
Um, Arena <clears throat> snack. Well, actually, it's uh, I don't I don't know if every baseball uh, diamond does this. I know I think the New York Yankees do this. I, I I'm pretty sure that uh, that Seattle does this as well. And if the Blue Jays don't, then the Blue Jays need to start doing this. And it's the ice cream in the cup that looks like a, a small little baseball cap. It's the cutest little the thing. Batter I don't know, helmet, the little yeah. batter helmet, right? Yes. You, you get, get your ice cream and then, yeah, your little yeah. sundae. And then afterwards, you go you home put, with a tiny little, oh, cap. little cap. Yeah, go. it's fun and, and silly and uh, overpriced. Overpriced for sure. Well, you're paying for the little cap. Right. Elliot, favorite, <laughs> I'm gonna go, favorite stadium I'm, I'm gonna, snack? Yeah, I'm going to go in a total different direction. Um, you know, it's been well documented on this show, and I talked about it a lot, but, I, you know, I was an avid Elks um, season ticket holder from the ages of, like, 9 to 16. It's something I would do with my grandfather. And when right. we'd go to every game, he would buy me a foot-long hot dog. Right. And it was, like, a tradition every year, every game. That was the first thing. He'd go, and he'd grab a coffee, and I'd grab foot-long hot dog and then he'd bring snacks and stuff and we'd have chocolate bars and things like that but that foot-long hot dog was sort of like the special thing and and it there's nothing special about it it's a foot-long hot dog at Commonwealth Stadium (laughs) like it's just like overpriced and long and and I was a kid so I didn't want I just wanted to get right to the seats so I wouldn't even put like mustard or mayo or mustard or ketchup on it it was just like a plain foot-long hot dog thing and yeah like it was just like so basic and boring but I have this like real nostalgia around like going to games and watching the then Esks now Elks uh, with my grandfather and him buying this for me too. So that would be my thing that I, when I think of like a, a, the snack that my favorite snack is, that would always be that for me. That's nice. So the second thing I said was what's the like snack or something you've heard of in a different ballpark or not ballpark. I don't know why we always go to ballparks, but it's kind of like, it's like the iconic thing. You the ballparks like, do have the best food. They you sit That's and like true. have a, you sit and like have a snack, right? Mm-hmm. But it was like, what is the, what is the one thing you've never, I don't know that you've had or whatever, or uh, heard of that you've never had a chance to eat. Um, I've never, I've never had tacos. And I think tacos oh. would go really great with, uh, with any game. Um, you know, just a couple small three, like three to four tacos in a little tray. That um, sounds really good. Hey, maybe you could, maybe you could make it into like a goalie, uh, a goalie net, you know, oh, going fun. on this, that's uh, fun. you're really about the little the souvenirs. souvenirs. That's right. You want to, you want a snack and a treat to take home. <laughs> that's right. Well, you know, I love Kinder. I love it. Um, I, this has just made me think of the most atrocious thing I've ever seen. That should have been a category. Uh, that should have been a category. Yeah. My wife yeah. and I, my wife and I went to Miami once, and we went to a Dolphins preseason game because I'd never been to an NFL game at the time, and it was like this will kind of be fun. We sat very high up at I guess it's now Hard Rock uh, Stadium, I think, and it used to be Sun Life or something. Dolphin Stadium, whatever it is now. And we sat up in the nosebleeds watching a Dallas Cowboy Miami Dolphin preseason game that we just got cheap tickets for. And she went, she went, she was gone for like maybe the entire second quarter to get food because she just wanted to go and see like every available option. And what she came back with was the most disgusting thing I've ever <laughs> seen in my life. It was a foot long hot dog with about four pounds of chili on top. Ooh. It was actually like not physically edible you couldn't there was no possible way to eat a hot dog with that much chili on it it's almost like you had like a like a barrel of chili and then a hot dog hidden in it it was horrifying and watching her try to eat it i will never (laughs) get that out of my head because it's like honestly like it was not 
physically possible for a human being to consume that without either just like eating it like a pig in a trough or what? And your best part was there's this guy sitting behind us who's just laughing the entire time. Anyway, my wife would be very embarrassed I told that story, but it's very funny. I think she brought me like a hot dog with some ketchup on it, but she, she attempted this thing. Anyway, my go, my like go to one I've never had, but I've always wanted to. So you guys talked about, I do love a hot dog at, at at a sporting event. Cause I don't, you know, you don't eat a hot dog very other places, maybe off of like a street cart in New York or something. Yeah. Right. But like a hot dog at a ball game or a hot dog at a football game is just, there's something that goes, it's easy. It's handheld, right? Perfectly designed. You got the beer in one hand, the hot dog in the other. I don't know. You might need two hands though. At Dodger stadium, which I actually have been to, but didn't I, now that I, I don't know why I didn't do this at the time. But they have a what they call the go the the going yard dog. That's okay. what I'm talking about. It's the home run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This thing is sixteen point eight inches. Oh god. So it's longer <laughs> than a foot. Can oh, you that's imagine? A two hands. That's a two hand that's hot right. dog. That's right. You gotta share that one. Wow. Uh, so I think that one's pretty good. That's anyway. Elliot, do you have one from somewhere else you've never tried? Yeah, I mean, I, it's sort of like famous, but the Philly cheesesteak at like the oh, Philly yeah. ballpark apparently oh, yeah, is yeah, like yeah. amazing. Um, and uh, I've actually like one of my goals is to go to Philadelphia and it's really for no other reason but to eat Chili's nice uh, Philly cheesesteak. Uh, but yeah, I'd like a, I'd love a Philly cheesesteak sandwich mm. at, uh, at a Philly's game. That would be great. All right. What's the thing you have never seen but wish you had? So you kind of said nachos, which I know exists, but is there anything else that's like? What's your like the nachos? Oh well, not yeah. No nachos exist. I I was thinking of a pickle. You know, you like see a deep those fried at the pickle. Well, not a deep fried. I think that's going too far. Just, Just a, pickle. a pickle on a stick. You see them? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I see them sometimes at the fairs and stuff, and I think people would love it. It would go really well. Pickle on a stick. Like a, like a sweet, like a, like a, no, like dill a, pickle. Like a sweet dill, 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 okay. dill pickle. Like a big old dill pickle. You call it, uh, you call it pickle by the foot. And you, oh my God, a foot long pickle. A foot long, <laughs> foot long pickle. Um, yeah. Put in a little skewer. How are you, what are you doing? You're sitting at the, like, what, the 50 yard line eating a pickle for on the sure, stick? Yeah, for sure. It's a good crunch. And is it vertical or is it perpendicular no, no, to the stick? I think it's vertical. I think. What's your job? Well, I got got all these foot long cucumbers I got to pickle for <laughs> next year's season. So that's why. Uh... And then stick them on a popsicle stick. <laughs> that's right. No, you, you got to stick the stick in like when it's ready to go. But you have like a spatula that you'd like stick in. And that was what you were most. And then that'd be your takeaway. That'd be your takeaway, Tim, is that you get the spatula to come home with, and that yes. would be a pickle spatula. Oh, yes, that's yes. Good. That's a great Make idea. it sports-related. It could be a hockey stick. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. There you go. There you go. <laughs> All right, Elliot, what do you got? I just, I like, I'm hard-pressed to, like, I sort of think this probably exists, but I would think, like, in Canada, why aren't we doing donaires at games? Oh, Like, God, it's a perfect yeah. one-handed thing. Oh, yeah. It's, like, super easy to hang on to, relatively quick to make sort of like a cultural phenomenon related to you know Canada in general like why aren't we get why don't we get donairs at hockey games definitely i don't that's know a, that's a really good one that's a really good one definitely i was going to go with something much more like trivial and silly when you go to disneyland mm-hmm. you can get a turkey leg what right you know the turkey leg it's like a full like the drumstick so but i want it as a hot wing because I love hot wings at like a sports bar, but hot wings at like a game would be really hard because it, it's messy. But if you had one 
really big hot wing. Yeah, it was just like, like a, a drumstick. Yeah, exactly. And then I you're love that idea. At, at the you know you eat that or whatever. Yes. It's a big hot wing flavored yes. drumstick. You got your drumstick. And then you have a massive. You, the you have like you have a massive bowl of ranch that you have you to go. dip, it, dip in it in. That's perfect. Go. That's perfect. And then uh, to That's make great. sure I check all the boxes yeah. for Tim, yeah. you get to take the chicken leg home at the end of the night. The bone That's is perfect. Right. That's right. <laughs> all right. Well, we're all we're all now sitting here feeling very gluttonous. But um, yeah, in in short order, we'll all be back at stadiums watching hockey games and eating things and dreaming of even better options. So, um, and all you Oiler fans, when you get back to Rogers Arena, make sure you order a nice big slice of uh, Pizza Seventy Three because for some reason it tastes so much better at the stadium than it does when you order it at home, and it's also like four times the size. Unbelievable. Love that. Can I can I just give an honorable mention to the beer at the old Rexall place, like that crack beer, whatever they used to call it. Like that beer was something special. <laughs> at Coliseum, it's not the same now at the new arena, but that old Coliseum, mm. there was something in the lines there that that nice. <clears throat> the old, the old, the old Rexall beers. You can't forget about those. Nice. Mm. nice. I gotta also maybe get a shout out for a, a good long churro. Oh yeah. You know? That's always good. It's a nice and handheld. It always comes down to the it's gotta be convenient, right? Absolutely. Like you couldn't you can't that's the the problem with the chili dog. <laughs> You have to be able to eat it in your yeah, seat. Yeah, unless it comes with a spoon, it's I'm, not worth it. I'm just so looking forward to, like, the Busy Bee vegan ad before it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this was a really fun show. I'm really glad Tim was able to join us. Yeah, thanks for having me. And if there's any uh, if there's any general managers of uh, local arenas out there who are looking for uh, some ideas concerning their concessions, hit Tim up. He's got lots of good ideas. They always come with a toy to take home, like got a happy you. meal. Got you. Uh, thank you, Elliot. Thank you, Tim. Appreciate it. Um, quick shout out here to, to, uh, our listeners. Thank you so much for all your support. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. And Hey, if you haven't done it already, uh, head over to the ordinary You can check out our merch store. We've got some awesome new stuff in there for the hat trick listeners. Uh, and, um, and we'll be back next week with, uh, even more fun stuff for you. That was hat trick. Patrick is a member of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. It's produced every week by Jordan Dyler-Coltman and Braden Dyler-Coltman. And follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for listening. The Ordinary Podcasting Network wishes to acknowledge that the lands on which our conversations take place include Treaty 6 territory, the traditional meeting ground and home for many indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, and the Nakota Sioux peoples, as well as the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit, whose footsteps have marked these lands for generations. And we extend our appreciation for the opportunity to live, create, and share stories on these territories. The Ordinary Podcasting Network intends to engage in conversations and dialogue, which acknowledge that reconciliation is not a destination, but a journey, and that we remain committed to practicing our craft in a decolonized space.